Good morning, RBC. Good to see you. Good to be here with you as well. Uh, looking forward to a <clears throat> couple things uh, coming up. Looking forward to the next week being able to be uh, live in person and live on video at the same time on YouTube. So uh, it'll be a, a good opportunity for us to do that again. And uh, some of the feedback from Christmas Eve was really strong and said, well, can we do more of that? So that's that's the attempt. We'll see how it goes and, and then we'll just... Um, but also wanted to mention, uh, men, we are kicking off this week. Uh, men, we're kick- our men's study, we'll be doing uh, Monday nights at 7 at the same time as the ladies. So uh, Brent just announced that the ladies' studies at 7 p.m. Well, guys, we're doing 7 p.m. Monday night as well. Uh, and then our Wednesday morning uh, crew, our 6 a.m. Wednesday morning crew will be kicking off again uh this Wednesday morning as well. So uh, same study for the guys, by the way, the Monday 7 p.m. and the Wednesday 6 a.m., they're same study. So uh, join whichever one. If you're a morning person, we got Wednesday. If you're a night person, we got Monday. So uh, hope to see you guys. If uh, you have questions about that, contact Brent or myself, or, uh, and we'll, we'll get you some answers. Um, other than that, we are beginning a new series this morning uh, in the book of Galatians. And uh, this is one of Paul's books, and uh, we're looking at was looking at where we would go next. Now that uh, we we had our trusting God in 2020 and our trusting God in 2021, a little mini series over uh, between Christmas and and now. And I want to thank Brent for covering last week and doing that. That was wonderful. Uh, but we're going to start a new book. We're going to go through the six chapters of Galatians. This book Paul has written to the churches in Galatia. Uh, who apparently were get were a little bit off. They were just a little bit off track. And Paul has a few things to say to them, and I think it's uh, poignant for where we are in our current culture and w- what we're thinking about and dealing with and, and trying to decide as uh, individuals, as families, as parts of a community. And so um, we're going to ho- go ahead and get started with that this morning. So welcome to Rock Bible Church. We're Christ-based, or Christ-centered, biblically-based compelling casual community, uh, compelling ourselves and others to Christ in casual ways that welcome all to worship and be in a community that serves the greater community. And to that we say amen. Let's pray and then we'll jump right in. Lord, thank you for this morning and thank you for the opportunity to worship. Pray you continue to be with us as the virus seems to be spiking and there's more restrictions, and uh, with that comes the opportunity for decision and how we follow you and how we engage in culture and how we stay safe, um, what we say, what we project to people. Uh, most of all, Lord, how we think and interact with you. And I pray this morning that our time in your word would help us with that. pray that you would show us um, that you are the center and that you call us to things. So, Father, pray that you give us clarity this morning on our own calling in Christ. And so I pray you bless uh, this book, this chapter today, uh, our time together. Pray it would honor you and your son. It's in his name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul is going to say outright, he's writing to the churches in Galatia, 
And uh, it's kind of interesting, this book, it's uh, of the four epistles, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Uh, Galatians is the longest of the four, and there's a little bit of controversy as to, well, when was it written? Uh, pretty much everybody agrees that Paul wrote it. In fact, at one point, they had uh, a bunch of people trying to make an argument that someone else wrote it under a pseudonym, pretending to be Paul. And that pretty much got uh, debunked and thrown out. But the, the, the thought on when it was written, was it written early in Paul's ministry or was it written late in Paul's ministry? Could have been uh, even during his first missionary journey, those of us that are familiar with uh, Bible and church history, there was, Paul had three missionary journeys, allegedly. And um, so it could have been during his first journey or it could have been at, at his last journey. It's very interesting to read with both of those ideas in mind because you could be thinking, wow, look at all the insight that he has right at the very beginning of his ministry and what he's saying to churches. Or after all of his experience in his third journey, look at what he has to say. Um, So uh, some, some would say this might be the earliest epistle we have from Paul. Others would say, nope, came much later. And uh, there's good arguments on both sides. Uh, more, most important for us, is what he said, not when he said it. And uh, for us to remember uh, is very important that what is in Scripture is in Scripture for its content and for God's intent rather than whether we know exactly who wrote it or what exact date they wrote it. Um, so I thought that's something to mention. We don't talk about that too often in most books that we cover uh, as we go through uh, chapters, but with Paul and Galatians, the first of these four and I thought it'd be good for us to mention. So uh, with that in mind, remember we're writing to churches and Paul has uh, established these churches and been there. And so he has a relationship and now he's going he's gonna to get on them a little bit. So let's look at uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, that's how Paul starts most of his letters to make sure that you know it's him. Not from men nor through man. And Paul's making the, the uh, a very clear distinction of who he is, but more importantly, why he's writing and what he's writing. Uh, there was some argument back in those days as to what was the true gospel and, and who was really following God and how did you verify it? If you think they, they didn't have a New Testament back then. They had the First Testament, they had uh, Jewish tradition, and then they had this very new experience with Jesus, uh, 12 disciples trying to make sense of all the things that had happened, these miracles, these teachings, then there's the crucifixion, some question to the resurrection, did it really happen? And most of them are on board. But the big question then becomes, well, what next? How do we follow a Christ that's no longer here? And who is a legitimate leader when it comes to that? Uh, great question even today. How do, we, how do we evaluate our leaders? Um, is it on content? It is, is it on their birthright? Is it on what, what degree they have? Uh, is it on what you like that they said or what you don't like that they said? Uh, a lot of ways to evaluate a leader. And Paul is making sure that uh, he states from the very beginning, uh, this is not a man thing. Uh, men and women, humankind, do not determine God's leadership. 
God decides that. So Paul's starting off from the very beginning. He says, hey, I'm Paul. And by the way, uh, man didn't put me here. And man is not sustaining me in my leadership. Um, I'm here if I'm here because God wants me here. And when God wants to remove me, he will. And so we're going to see that theme through all six chapters of this whole book uh, because the church in Galatia was starting to kind of uh, rank people, uh, who's important, who's not, and, and um, that's a very dangerous thing to do uh, because who's valuable in the church? Today, when we talk about uh, value, who's valuable in the church? We would say everyone, amen? We would say all people. In fact, when people ask the question, well, between him and him, who, who do you think is most important? We would say both because we're not doing that value judgment statement thing, compare, contrast, and, try, and trying to devalue one while we elevate another. And Paul is trying to make that from point and get into that theme at the very beginning of his letter. He says, I'm not from man nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and the God the Father who raised him from the dead and all of the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. He says, uh, I'm here if I'm here because God wants me here. And uh, I have some things to say to the churches. And now you get to decide whether you want to accept it or not. Uh, no one's put me up to this. I believe this to be from God. And it's like what we see in the, in the scriptures and other places. It says, test the spirits and then hold on to what is true. Uh, we, we as Christians, we should feel 100% okay with people saying whatever they want. And then we hear what they say. We test it. We evaluate it. We think about it, then we decide, is it good, is it valuable, or is it divisive and troublesome, and do we, do we keep it, or, we, or do we discard it? Do we throw it out? And Paul's saying, here we go. You got a shot at this. Uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace he wants to, for, for them. Uh, I want that for this year. I kind of mentioned a couple weeks ago my my New Year's resolution. Maybe this is kind of joking. For next year is peace. How how do we how do we project peace, chase peace, practice peace, ask for peace? I think that we need it more than ever before, based on what's been going on. Um, Paul says uh, to a church that's struggling back then, he's going to say actually that they're in evil times. He says, here's what I want for you. In the midst of evil, I want grace and peace to you. Um, why would he say that? There's so many. He could have said blessing. You know, there's all these other things. Hey, faith, I wish you had more faith. I wish you had more blessing. I wish you had um, more love for one another. He says grace and peace. Uh, notice those are all uh, things that happen to you. They're passive. You can't grace yourself, right? You can't peace yourself. What he's saying is, I'm hoping that God steps in, God overvenes and puts over you something gracious, something good, gracious, uh, something that frees you, and peace. I hope God comes in and helps you calm or comforts you. That's kind of interesting because uh, this is no longer a check, it's not a checklist of to-dos. Hey, you need to be more loving. You need to study more. You need to pray more. You need to have more faith. No, it said, hey, I hope first and foremost, 
You let God come and do some things to you. And we'll start there. We'll see what you do later, but let's start with the foundation of God first, not what you can do as a human. That's awesome because really what that is, it's, it's a restatement of what he said at the very beginning, not from men nor through men. And he's saying, no, I'm praying and I'm hoping that in a similar type of way for you. Grace and peace for you. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. That's kind of interesting because I'm confused now. It's interesting because I'm confused. How could something done in the past take care of something in the present? He says he died for us, basically, to, for our sins, to deliver us, past tense, for this present age. That's, that's um, totally irrational thinking in most common thought today. That something in the past could actually change something in the present. How does that make sense? The way it would have to make sense is that somehow this present predicament, whatever evil they're going through, whatever questions or trouble or struggle, it must not have power over what happened in the past. It also must be possible change. You can change present. And here's, here's, here's the irrational part, is it sounds like you can change the present based on the past. That's weird. How would that make sense? Well, it'd have to change your thinking. It, you'd have to let it uh, uh, affect your heart, your emotions. Uh, you'd have to let something in the past affect your present decision-making. That's when it starts to make sense. Uh, that's what's huge for us as Christians uh, because in this present age with all of the things that we think we need to be afraid of that we're projected and clickbait from social things and media that, oh, you know, we gotta, we're, we're gonna. No. If we go back and remember who we are, maybe how our parents raised us or classes we took, apprenticeships we've had, how about scripture we've read, sermons we've heard, pastors we've listened to, prayers we've said? How about go farther back than that? How about things written in scripture, characters we know of, their interactions with God? How about even more important that farther back than that? How about the promise of God that he's made for many generations? How about we go even farther back than that? The very beginning. This is my creation. And after everything that I've said and done and made, I call it very good. If I remember that progression all the way back to here, can I think differently, feel differently, decide differently at what's going on in the present? I'd have to. I love that thinking because now uh, a current politician or a family member or some new restriction or law or freedom or opportunity or something that I can invest in later has less power over me, has less influence over me because I remember my identity. I remember what the Bible would call 
calling. Who has God called us to be? In fact, Paul's going to use that exact phrase and that terminology coming up here in just a second and several times throughout the rest of the book. Right? It says, according to the will of God the Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Is that a, is that a cute little phrase that he just throws in there? That God, to God be the glory forever and ever, amen. We've heard that phrase in some form. Maybe we change the words a little bit. But that kind of phrase we've heard throughout Scripture many, many places. Why? Why do we have to be told that? Because it'll rhyme well in the song for the next line. Because it's one of those great little Christianese statements that you can say, or that we're supposed to say. How about we say yes, yes, and yes to all that, and then say but another reason, or and another reason that we're told that to God be the glory forever and ever is because we like to take glory and we like to chip off a little piece and, and save it for ourselves, or, or save it for my church. Hey, look at what my church is doing. Hey, look at, look at what my school did. Hey, you know, our team, we did this. And you know what? Uh, we want churches and schools and teams. We want everybody to do well. We want families to prosper. But in the moment that we start taking glory for ourselves, we get off track and we forget where does glory come from and where does it do? And we start taking uh, people and judging them based on their value on a perceived standard that we've made up not only are we devaluing some people and over-elevating others, we are taking glory meant for God and we're starting to attribute it to a person. That's super dangerous. That some person is going to save us. That some one thing, one decision, one law, one setting, one vote is going to put us in a position where now we'll be okay. And God says, no, that's not how it works. Glory starts with me and comes back to me. It's circular, right? Uh, and that's why it was, uh, was kind of tragic on a spiritual level what we saw happen in the Capitol this week. Because actually what happened was a lack of faith. Everything was a power control or rioting or you're going to call it a bunch of things. What it really was was a lack of faith. Lack of faith that God's still in control. And that in the end, he's going to be glorified. Right? That in the end, he can make it work. That no matter what's going on, no matter how long you've waited, you can do all right. No matter how many decades it's been since you won a playoff game, you can still win a playoff game. Right? A little shout out to the Buffalo Bills. I was loving them yesterday. Uh, verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Ouch! That's a big ouch. Well, actually, it's not, right? It's written to them, not to you. All right, so you can feel comfortable. It doesn't hurt that bad. Or we could think about it. What is he saying? Hey, I'm Paul. I'm not from men. I'm not through men. By the way, grace and peace to you. Why? Because you need stuff done to you before you can be in a position to do anything 
because we don't have great status. We, in fact, we're not meant for glory. He's meant for glory. And verse 6, uh, you've forgotten all that. You've stepped aside. You've, you've sauntered off the path. Right? You ever been on a hike or something and you see something and you go off the path and go uh, mess, mess with it, go see what it is? That's how you get poison oak. That's how you trip, fall, get a twig in the leg. I remember we were, we were on a hike with my family. This is quite a while ago. Uh, and I remember walking along and thinking, about, hey, what's that over there? And I, I took one step off the path. And there was this teeny, the smallest little bush, cutest little thing, harmless as anything. But one of the branches, I, I guess previously, had been broken off. And when I took that step, my leg went straight in. My leg went straight in to that that little twig, and it poked like a quarter inch into my leg. I remember it bled like crazy, and for weeks, it was just like, I'm waiting for this to get better. Paul says this. He says, you know what? You have abandoned your calling, right? I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you. And I want to make sure we point out a very very significant distinction here. He, he does not say, I, I'm so astonished that you so quickly have started judging people. He doesn't say uh, that you so quickly have come up with your own arbitrary human standard. I, I, he doesn't say, I'm, I'm so astonished that you so quickly come up with uh, these to-do lists for people or that you've stolen glory. What's the violation? The violation wasn't in action. The violation was in faith. He says, you've turned from God himself, the one who called you. The violation, you know this, I hope. We're going to make it really clear right here. The violation in sin is never the action. In fact, many actions that we call sin in another environment, we would call them just fine. Right? Is sex a sin? Well, I don't know. Tell me the context. Married? Not a sin. Right? Are there contexts where sex is a sin? Absolutely. Well, if both are true, then it's not the action. So what what makes an action sin if the action itself is not intrinsically sin? It's a violation of relationship with God. It's a faith statement. It says God's called you, and this is really the epitome of it right here, right? Very simple. Uh, I want you to do this over here and don't do it over there. If you do it over here, you're okay. Very good. You do it over here, not good. This is bad. This is good. This is true. This is false. Now, when you walk over here and you do false, you do bad, you do sin, is it that the action was somehow wrong? Or is it that you disobeyed? You see, I would go back to the garden, uh, Genesis chapter 3, and I would say the sin was not eating of the fruit. The sin was disobeying God when he said, don't eat it. In fact, the sin might have happened before. Ooh, here's some thinking. 
Maybe the sin happened before they even took the fruit when, he, when she changed what was originally said to Adam and said, no, we're not supposed to eat it. We're not even supposed to touch it. It's not said that way when God says to Adam, says don't eat of the fruit. God does not say don't touch it. But yet in the exchange between the serpent and the woman, all of a sudden says, no, we're not even supposed to touch it. What's happened there? We've taken what God has given us and we've added to it. We've twisted it. We've changed it a little. Now, not don't any of you dare say, well, Scott said that Eve sinned first because she changed it from, no, no. Because like in any good marriage, the communication from the man to the woman may have been flawed, right? I mean, it could be that Adam, he, well, he didn't translate it right. If Adam was leading, maybe he's the one that said, yeah, well, hey, don't even touch it, right? I know I do that to my kids sometimes, right? They probably touch something. It's no big deal, but don't use it. Don't use it. In fact, you know what? In order to avoid not even using it, how about you just not even touch it, right? Don't go into my toolbox. You see, the violation could be here that we've, we've... taking God out of his seat of authority. And we've said, um, can you just sit over here for a minute? Because I want to make new rules. I want to define my own calling. That's rough. Because you start making the rules, guess what? They're not rules. They're fake. They won't work. And you're now functioning on something that's false. And this is what Paul's getting to in verse 6. In fact, I love this verse so much for this chapter when it comes to the value of what's actually being taught that I put it on the outline as like the highlighted verse. Right? I saw it, it was up there earlier just by itself. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Um, one of the last things before we get into verse 7 and keep going, I want you to see for sure, when you turn from God and his calling, you will turn to something else. It's not that we just say, well, God, you know, just sit over here. It it always is followed with, well, I'm going to put my time and attention on something else, right? And that becomes sin in and of itself. When you set God aside and you say, I'm going to go with my own idea, my own feeling, my own direction. I'm going to listen to this other voice. God says, oh, no, you're supposed to be listening to my voice, my direction, my calling. Why are you listening to those other voices? Uh, It's a great question. Uh, What voices are you listening to? Who are the voices that have the highest influence in your life? And then recognize why do you value those things? And how do they compete with God? That's what we get ourselves in trouble with. And that's how these churches got in trouble. Paul says, don't do that. Verse 7, not that there is another one, not another one. And this is really great. I love Paul this way. He says, you've turned to another gospel. Well, not that there's actually another gospel. I love that. He won't even give credit to there being a fake gospel. Nope, he's not even going to call it a gospel. You've turned from the gospel to something fake. Something that will fail and will never fulfill. 
Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. That's, that's huge, folks. Because there's some simple truths about God from the past that will save you in the present, if you remember them. In fact, I had a conversation this week with somebody freaking out about a decision that they had to make. And they believe, they, they, they said this to me outright, they believe that if they make this decision, or if other people make this decision, it will, it will uh, eliminate them from heaven. And, and it was the funniest thing in my head logically because I was listening, I was being quiet, it was their turn to talk, so I was just listening and I wasn't saying anything. But I'm hearing them talk about this other thing that was going to separate them from the love that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I thought to myself, wait, there's a verse about that, right? Nothing shall separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Ooh. I think in terms of uh, no action is a sin, there's just the implication of whether you're obedient or not. Then it's not about the action of whether you decide this or not. It's it's actually, are you trying to follow God in this or not? Whoa. I can follow God with my finances or I can not follow God with my finances and I can invest in the same exact thing with my money. You could donate money to the church for the wrong reason and be out and it'd be at odds with God. Because uh, you're doing it to be important, because you're doing it for some kind of gain, because you're doing it to try and influence the church or whatever. I, I just use that example because it's a little bit safer than anything else we talk about, right? I start talking about sex, everybody gets awkward. But it, it's possible for us to be on track with God even when we make mistakes. Because a decision that we make in the pursuit of God, can God redeem it if it was a mistake? Will it separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus? No, it won't. In fact, there's only one thing. Salvation hinges on one thing and one thing alone. Jesus Christ, his shed blood, his sacrifice, the propitiation of your sins that he did on the cross as a statement of your value and a statement of his authority and position and ability to then resurrect himself, his position over sin, over death, over all of life, and then his, his status at the right hand of the Father. There's only one thing that matters when it comes to our salvation, Jesus Christ. You start adding things like church attendance, whoa, you know, you don't go to church, you can't go to heaven. No, we don't find that anywhere in Scripture. What we'd be doing if we did that, we'd be saying, well, we've, we've twisted, right? What does it say? Twisted the gospel or distorted it, verse 7 says. Anytime you add things to somebody's salvation, like you, you have to be a Christian and you have to vote this way. No. You have to be a Christian, you have to accept Jesus, and uh, you can't be divorced. No. You, you, if you're a Christian, you know, but if you get a tattoo, no. You accept Jesus and his sacrifice for you, his statement about you, and you say, I want to dedicate my life to you for the rest of my life, and then you have a drink of alcohol. 
We can't make rules like that. And it's interesting because uh, these people were making rules just like we make rules today. We have all kinds of rules. And, and the most obvious one right now is those who wear masks and those who don't wear masks. Right? Those who are going to get the vaccine and those who aren't going to get the vaccine. Those who are going to social distance and those who are not. Those who are going to do this and who are going to do not. And it's very important for us to remember, those don't decide our salvation. And our job is to figure out all of those things as we move forward. In fact, when, when our, our desire or our focus is to follow Christ, then we're going to change our answers and our thinking from whether you have a mask or not to are we helping people or not? Are we keeping people safe or not? Are we looking for ways to love our neighbor? That might then determine how we answer the question. Well, I'm going to wear a mask. Why? I want to, I want to love my neighbor. I want to keep him safe. Now, we add those things to how we act, to our behavior, but we're not adding those things to the gospel. We're not changing theology. See, they were making rules, and, and we're, on the, we're on the brink of being in that uh, thing today. Right? We're making too many rules. Verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. It says, look, if, if somebody shows up, if anything shows up, it says an angel even, even if an angel shows up, and all of a sudden you're hearing a little bit, a little bit different gospel. Well, you know, Jesus Christ on the cross, yes. But also this, he says, throw it out. Why? God doesn't change, folks. Truth doesn't change. If truth changed, it wouldn't have been true. Right? There, there's some ideological things that we, we have to hold on to with God. It says, and not just let them be considered false or wrong, it says accursed. How's that different? Accursed means they are cursed. Cursed according to who? According to you? No, according to God. If somebody's cursed, if somebody's wrong, if somebody's making mistakes, if somebody's in sin, whatever it is, uh, is that your business? No. Is it your job description? No. It's God's job. It, it, he's, vengeance is his, he says. Judgment is his, he says. Matthew 7 tells us, judge not, lest you be judged. Right? But at the same time, can you watch what's going on and say, eh, I'm going to be discerning and I'm not going to do that. Why? Well, because I think I'm distorting something. I'm not going to judge them. I'm going to give them freedom and let them do their thing. But I'm going to choose a different path for me because I want to pursue God. And I'll trust, maybe they're trying to pursue God, and I don't understand that. I don't see how it works. But I'm going to let it go. And I'm going to pursue God with integrity the best way I know how based on the things that I understand. And then we keep moving forward. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Now Paul says it twice, just in case you missed it the first time. Verse 10, for I am, uh, for, excuse me, 
For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? That's a direct indictment on the churches of Galatia who are trying to, they're having votes almost, deciding who was best and who wasn't. As if man somehow, the approval of a man or of people was our, a high priority. Ooh, do we do that today? Are we looking for the approval of other people when we post, huh? When we like, when we show up for or don't show up for? I mean, folks, this is a general human problem, issue, temptation. Do people like me? What if that wasn't your higher priority? What if it was, does God like me? Asking that question. Uh, One, yes, he does. Two, uh, he actually loves you. Three, how do you understand it? How do you lean into it? How do you step into it? That God likes you. What freedom would it give you if you knew and believed with full confidence that God liked you to then deal with somebody who doesn't? Could you be okay? You could be 100% okay. In fact, you could care about that person that doesn't like you. You could actually make an effort with the person that doesn't like you. Why? Because you better understand who God is and what his calling is. You see, we seek the approval of God. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Which begs the question... Who are you trying to please? Here it says, please God or please man. I would say in either scenario, you're trying to please yourself. If you're trying to please yourself, which one's going to work? Your pursuit of pleasing others or your pursuit of pleasing God? You don't please yourself, work on pleasing God and you will be pleased. Man, that was a lot of pleased, Scott. Paul says don't get that mixed up. Verse 11 For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Paul actually was pursuing Christians and killing them. How does that guy turn? Nobody convinces him to turn. That had to be God convincing him to turn. And that's what he's saying. Uh, By the way, what could man or woman convince you of? Boy, that's a question. If God had convinced you of something, could a person change your mind? Just on their actions. Folks, that's rough because that's what happened in Galatia and it could still happen today. But we have to stick to the revelation of Christ, the past event that affects the present. That's verse 12. Verse 13, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism. I persecuted the church violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond my own age. Among those, next slide, Among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. 
But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, there's our word again, called. Who's he talking about? He's talking about God. He's talking about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He says, but somehow God, the Trinity, they were doing something. What were they doing? Verse 16, they were pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. It's kind of interesting because now we're getting into the heat of the argument. One of the biggest problems in the church of Galatia is uh, Jew or Gentile. Which one's most important? Which uh, policies and traditions do we hold on to? Uh, we got circumcision in one and we don't have circumcision in the other. We, got, we eat these foods in one and we don't eat these foods in the other. We, we got some decisions to make here. This is why Paul gets into this argument. He says, hey, look, we're not taking this direction from men. In fact, God has called me to preach to the group that many of you say should be out. Awesome. How do you do that? By revealing his son. He says, I didn't consult with anyone, verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem for those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia. He says, I didn't go to the local authorities. I didn't go to the leaders of Judaism or the leaders of the church. I said, God, what are you calling me to? And that's what I tried to follow. He says he goes into Arabia and then returned again to Damascus. He had a little retreat. Why? He's trying to sort out, what is God calling me to? Great little example, verse 18. Then after three years, what? He waited three years to act. That's some patience right there. Why wait three years? To con confirm that you're right? To make sure that it's God who's motivating it? To evaluate it? Maybe to come up with a plan? Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. We know him as Peter. Went up to Jerusalem to visit Peter, Cephas, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none other than the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Those are the only two people that he met with. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. The Jewish churches still had no idea that he changed. He's only talked to two guys. They were only hearing it said, these churches that didn't know he'd changed, this is what they were hearing. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Wow. Wow not preaching rules, not preaching you have to be circumcised, not preaching you, you can't eat this or you have to do that or you have to join this. What's he pre He's preaching faith. What's that? The pursuit of God and his calling on you. Wonderful. And they glorified God because of me. Wow. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Before we get into the outlines, because I've been, I've been spinning on this last verse for a while now. At the end of your calling, in the midst of your calling, 
in the first few steps of your calling. Whatever God has asked you to do, wants from you, is uh, training you to do, gifting you to do, supplying resources for you to do at any step of the way. Do people glorify God because of what you're doing? Wow. That's a great measuring tool for my actions. Remember earlier I was saying, you know, actions aren't sin. It's just that it depends on whether you're using them in the right way at the right time based on what God has called us to. And what a great measuring tool for your actions is do people glorify God because of what you did? And more importantly than are people glorifying God, if people are glorifying God because of your actions, it might be a sign that you're actually on track, on the path, that you're answering his calling, that you are listening to him. That's a great little thing. Uh, the implication, too, is, hey, churches of Galatia, with all the things that you're doing, all the twisted, distorted stuff that you're changing, is it actually helping people to glorify God or are you creating division in the church? Are you creating conflict, frustration? What are you creating when you do that? Well, let's look at some things. Uh, your call in Christ, all, all of our feelings this morning are meant to be a, an addition to that sentence. Like your call in Christ is the beginning of the sentence and then your, our feelings are going to be the second half of the sentence. So your call in Christ, number one, is defined and approved by God. Well, of course, Scott, we're at church. Of course it's defined and approved by God. No, I had to say that and had to write it implicitly outright because the problem the church in Galatia is, was having is they were letting other people define what they should do. They were taking votes. And, and Paul is saying to them, no, it's really about you making sure that God defines who you are. God defines your value. God defines your talents, your gifts. In fact, God should define your confidence. God should divine, define your, your peace. God should divine, define how patient you are. All of your decision making. And the church in Galatia wasn't doing that. In fact, they were looking for the approval from men, from other people in the church, or from Jews who, you know, prior to Christ, we, we were the chosen people, so, you know, we must be, we have a special in with God. And Paul said, no, our approval comes from God, not from other people. And the moment that you learn to stop getting your approval from people and recognize your approval in Christ, one, you'll feel calmer and freer, and two, you, you'll more, in more ways, you'll want to pursue where God actually wants you to go and what he wants you to do. When we allow God to be the author and perfecter of our faith, when we allow God to be the center, or as we would say at, at Rock Bible Church, the center, right? So we are a Christ-centered. Uh, we don't just make that phrase up, folks. We stole it from the Bible, borrowed it, or copied it. Let's positive phrases, we copied it from the Bible, to put us in that, that same kind of idea, that same kind of concept. 
if your actions are centered on Christ and pleasing him, his approval, how he defines it, man, you're off to a good start. That's number one. Uh, Number two, your call in Christ is easily distorted and deserted by turning. It's easily distorted and deserted by turning. A couple different times in the passage there, you see the verses there. It says, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so disappointed in you. you. You've turned. You stepped aside. You took the gospel in this direction that God had given you and, you, and you twisted it a little bit. And here's the thing. Was that unique to them? No. In fact, the Bible tells us all of sin to fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? We're, we're professional turners. Right? We should all change our name to Turner. We're, we're Turners. That's what we do. We, we're going and we, come, we, we drift. Whoop. And keep your eyes on the road. Why? Because when your eyes get off the road when you're driving, what happens? You start hearing that sound. Buh, 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 buh. What's that? The little, the little, what do you call them? Road markers on the side or the, or the center divide. You start hitting those little, what are they? Deflector things? Paul's a deflector, scripture is a deflector that when we, when we start turning, we get off the lane, we got to get back on because it's really easy. It's, it's super easy. Not just to distort and, and desert, but when you distort and you desert because you turned, it's easy to destroy. What, destroy? Destroy what? Whatever's in the path. It destroy your thinking, destroy your emotions, destroy the people around you, destroy a reputation, destroy something you've invested in for a really long time, destroy a work opportunity, destroy family connections. There's so many things that can be at stake. And God says, look, this is how it works. Keep your eyes on me all the time. Author and perfecter of our faith. Why? Because you're a turner. You turn easily. That's great news. Wait, great news, God? That just sounds so dark. No, if we're turners, if we're naturally turners, guess where you can turn? You can turn the right direction, right? And just the fact that you are really good at missing the turn doesn't mean you you have to miss the turn. You just got to take a little direction. A lot of us. Like, hey, honey, turn here, turn here. No, no, slow down, you gotta turn here. That's like, no, we're gonna keep going. No, no, turn here. And you missed the turn. Learn how to turn. Learn how to take direction from God. And you can, you can keep turning yourself back on path. That's the great news. Uh, lastly, your calling Christ pleases and glorifies God. It pleases and glorifies God. That's what calling does. That's how you evaluate it. Look at it, judge it, decide about it, measure it. Is what I'm doing pleasing God? Is how I'm treating my friends pleasing God? It's really easy to look at your friends and ask yourself, are they pleased? Well, you just said we're not supposed to be looking for their approval. No, we're not supposed to be looking for approval. But you can see how your actions affect other people. How are you affecting others? And here's the thing, there are going to be times when, when pleasing and glorifying God actually contradicts others. 
There are times where following God will put you at odds with other people. We say, you know, you really, really shouldn't do that. Oh, really? Oh, how's that? And you're going to find yourself in conflict. If you find yourself in conflict, here's the thing to remember. Make sure you're in conflict with people, but not with God. If you and God are good, if you and God are solid, you will have conflict. In this life, you will have trouble, right? Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. The Bible says it all over the place. You're going to have trouble. When you have trouble, make sure you're doing well with God. Not in conflict with Him. And He'll walk you down the path. He'll keep you in the lane. He will help you and show you what calling looks and bring you through because He, from the past, can handle what's in the present. And never should we think that the discontent, the frustration, the opposition from people around us in the present actually change what God has called us to. And you got to be careful with that because we use, we use other people's opinions and their influence to justify all kinds of behavior. Well, I'm going to keep doing it because Scott still does it. I'm, I'm going to get divorced because everybody thinks I should. I'm going to do this because I can. That's all faulty thinking. What you've done is you've taken the gospel, what Jesus did on the cross, and he said, it was good, but it wasn't enough. It was good, but I need to add something to it. I'm going to accept that, but I want to hold on to some of my freedoms. I'm going to accept that, but I'm going to make sure I'm pleasing this other person. I'm going to accept that, but I'm also going to pursue this other thing. That's where we get in trouble, because that other thing, that's the thing we'll start turning to. And then God will, will slowly fade into the distance. Your call in Christ is probably the most important thing going. Because it forces you to deal with who Christ is and on the cross. Everything else falls into line after that. And without that, nothing falls into line. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, help us, and uh, I pray for those that are hearing this this morning and thinking about something that challenges them. Pray, Lord, that more than a challenge, you'd give them a little direction, that you would nudge them, call them, Lord, to something. Call them away from something, maybe, Lord, but call them to something. I pray, Lord, that they would see what it is that would please you, that you define, that you would approve of. And then, Lord, that they would recognize opposition. That's just opposition. That's not your opposition. You're actually on their side. If you're hearing this, maybe that's your prayer this morning. Lord, what do you want, what do you want to call me to? What I spend more time on? Give me that, Lord. I just pray, God, you'd use your spirit to guide and lead all of us. 
And then, Lord, see what comes from uh, those that follow your calling. We thank you, Lord, for our church and what we get to continue to do. Uh, continue to bless people uh, that are joining us and those that can't. But help us to follow you, Lord. We pray that this offering that we're receiving will help us do that. And pray, Lord, that you would continue to provide for your church and your people. And show us how to love our community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know what you just sang? I reach out and he finds me in the dust. It's great. You reach out, what are you asking for? You're asking for a call. He finds you in the dust and then he calls you. May you take his call. Amen. Amen. Go with him.